Welcome back, everyone, to What's True for Everybody. This is experience number 66, and we are continuing our series, Seeing God in a Pandemic. And this is a series where we've been talking to a variety of people about how this pandemic has affected their life, their work, their routine, what it is they've lost. And then on the other side of that, how have they seen God in the midst of it all? We've talked to some fantastic people. We have another fantastic guest here with us today. It is Lacey Hilbrick, and the title of this one is, is changing just a little bit. Uh, it's called Sobriety in the Midst of a Pandemic. And I met Lacey in July of 2011 when a church Lacey helped started, and, and she was an elder uh, of this church, uh, Ecclesia Clear Lake in Clear Lake, Texas, uh, just south of Houston. And they were looking for a pastor and they hired me. And so I got to know Lacey and the elder crew down there. And Lacey has become over the last nine years, a really, really, really dear friend of mine. She's someone who I deeply respect as a friend, as an elder, as a mom, a wife, uh, all of it. She's a wonderful husband named Lucas, two great daughters uh, who are both wise and talented and smart and all of it. Um, and Lacey has been sober for 13 years now. When I met Lacey, she was about five years into her journey of sobriety. And uh, she is inspiring and, and she is someone I look up to a great deal. She's helped a ton of people in a lot of different areas of life, this being one of them. And Lacey, thank you for being with us today and willing to talk about this. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited too. Okay, Lacey, before we get into um, the sobriety part of this conversation, tell us, you have a, a daughter who's a freshman in high school, just figuring out this high school thing, and then a daughter who's a yeah. senior in high school trying to get out of this high school thing. <laughs> as <What's>, quick <laughs> as she can. <laughs> as quick as she can. Uh, what's that been like in the last couple months? It's been insane. Um, we have a bit of a unique experience because both of my kids made the choice to do high school online. So prior to the pandemic, we had already kind of fallen into a rhythm of online school. So uh, some of the adjustments that a lot of high schoolers are facing right now were not necessarily the same for us. Um, but uniquely, I think, to um, some of the other educational challenges, my girls educational world didn't change and where a lot of their friends are experiencing like a shift to more of a, like a laid back pass fail, um, lots of grace in the midst of assignments. Um, nothing changed for my kids. And that has been like the strangest part of the whole thing. You know, just this morning we had a, a moment where we, uh, you know, had to recognize that, you know, we just got to get through this. We just got, we've, we've got to, um, finish strong. And I've got one kiddo that sees that as like, you know, challenge accepted. I'll finish by the end of the week. And the other one that's <laughs> like, maybe by the end of June, I can pull this thing out. <laughs> so it's been a, it's been a, it's been a unique uh, educational journey on top of all the other emotional and, and spiritual and, you know, all the other components of the, um, this very unique season. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your seniors, accepted to college she's she's planning to go yeah yeah we got an email yesterday from her college and um that was 
you know, challenging in and of itself because she's, you know, she's paid her deposit. She's been accepted to a university in, in San Antonio, Texas, and she's super excited to be a Trinity Tiger in the fall. But, you know, <laughs> even then she's, you know, she, she has submitted an application this week for a, a program she wants to do the week before traditionally freshmen go back and she got the acceptance letter from it, but everything is, you know, asterisk, asterisk, asterisk if we could come back. And right. so there, that's just, it's, it's a very bizarre, like you want to be excited. You want to plan for the next season of life. And yet, you know, that there's a very real possibility that this, that dorm life and classes and all the other things are not going to be the way that you had have had in your mind for the last 18 years. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, one thing you've gotten in into recently is writing for a Houston mom blog. And actually the reason I'm titling this sobriety in the midst of a pandemic with Lacey Hilbrick is because you wrote a blog called sobriety in the midst of a pandemic. So before we get into that, tell us what it's like been writing for this mom blog for the last, however long it's been. Is it close to a year? Yeah. So about a year, year and a half now. It's been great. Yeah. So I, um, I have always uh, found kind of my natural niche in the spoken word that has, that has been a a comfortable place for me. Um, I think, you know, years of, of speaking um, in a variety of different settings, but specifically in the church setting, um, that was always like a comfort place for me. But what I discovered as I honed my writing, I mean, uh, my speaking skills is I I loved the craft of writing it. Mm. Um, When I sit down to do a talk or a teaching, um, I write every word out because for me, like how the words fit together are are really, really important. So about, um, gosh, it's probably been three or four years, three years ago, maybe. Um, I, I took on the, a new task of putting my writing out for people to read. And I did that in the form of a blog, you know, my personal blog first. Um, and a lot of it was just me trying to figure out if my words on the page impacted people in the same way that my spoken word did. As I, as I kind of honed that skill, Um, I had some encouragement from people that loved me enough to say, push, go, do. And so um, in the fall of 2018, I submitted a a piece to uh, a local mom's blog here in town and was accepted as a contributing writer. And um, I love that. It's it's fantastic in terms of, of pulling out of me writing. However, the the side benefit that I had no idea was getting to interact with these women that are just, I mean, these are rock star women (laughs) that just want to dig into all different aspects of being a a mom, being a, a societal contributor, being a part of speaking from a variety of different places. I love the diversity of our team. I love the fact that we all come from very different backgrounds. That is really life-giving to me. And so um, I love interacting with them. And while I I submit a piece every month for that, um, I interact with them on an almost daily basis. And that's, that's just a joy. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, Okay, Lacey, you are a leader both in the church, out of the church, wherever it is that you're at. Um, I actually remember when we were interviewing and my wife and I were checking out the church website, Ecclesia Clear Lake website, and the elders were on there and it was like, whoa, woman elder. Good. Okay. 
awesome. Um, but it was also, I, I don't know why I remember this. In there, it, it, you wrote that you love listen, listening to Pink. And so <laughs> that got Corey's attention. It's like, oh, wait, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do this. <laughs> um, so you've helped lead me over the last like nine years, which has been fantastic. Um, and I remember you had this tradition and I don't know if, if you still do, um, but in your journey of sobriety, when you would get a year chip, you would take yep. someone with you. Yep. And you took me once and I think it was your seven year. I'm not positive, but I think that's that. Thing. I that think sounds that. about right. Yeah. So it would have been 2014-ish, maybe. Yeah. Um, and that, for me, was, I mean, that, that gave me a whole new level. I mean, I knew your story, um, but I hadn't been in, like, in that with you. Been uh, in the room. Been yeah. in the room. Yep. Yeah. Uh, a whole new level of, of respect, not only for you, but for, for people in recovery in general. And one of the things I, I learned in that day was, oh, this is a bunch of people who like don't have any time or energy left for fakeness. Um, and that was refreshing to me. So tell us, um, hey, how about we start here? Tell us your, your story journey to sobriety. How did that happen? Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> let's see if I can do this in 2.3 in, seconds. In no. three hours or less, tell us this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, so I, I think it's important to give some context to, um, you know, a, a lot of times uh, we, we think that um, people who struggle with addiction come from um, a story of destruction. Hmm. And I did, but my story of destruction was, um, um, had an umbrella over it of protection and that was religion. Hmm. So what I, what I, while I, I resist a lot of the things that um, I have since unpacked, in the beginning, I'm so grateful in a lot of ways because I feel like um, my boundaries, my, my um, upbringing, the, the curbs, as I call it on my road, were very determined by, um, I couldn't go outside those curbs for fear of losing what I had in the church. So, so I think that's really important for, to understand. Yeah. Um, it's pretty unusual that you have somebody that, um, that, that enters the sober world in their early thirties that didn't take their first drink until they were 19. Hmm. That's, that's a pretty quick progression, but, but a lot of that comes back to being president of your youth group and doing all the things in the name of Jesus. And so, you know, th again, those were the curbs that protected me early on. Did you say um, president of your youth group? Yes. Isn't that a very valuable <laughs> title? I think that everyone should have that on their resume. Oh, that's so, awesome. Okay. So um, my story is that I, um, I didn't take my first drink till I was 19, but let's just say that my life motto should be go big or go home. And I mm. certainly didn't um, let that stop um, what happened in the next, you know, 13 years of my life. Um, but I always had this, this uh, curve. That's really the best way to put it. I had self-imposed moral rules that prevented me from doing the things that I thought were like the horrible terribles of, of 
of drug and alcohol, mm-hmm. whatever. And it, it was totally a moral, like it was me um, imposing moral boundaries on myself. It also saved my life in a lot of ways because yeah. what I know about myself is that um, had I been given the space, permission, people to go there, my life would have ended very differently, probably ended um, before I found my way into the rooms of recovery. Ultimately, uh, let's fast forward through the the wreckage because you know the the wreckage stories is really not where I want to live today. Mm-hmm. Um, but but my um, my bottom, if you want to call it that, that's that's the term that we use in recovery. My bottom came um, when I had mastered the ultimate setup of a life a life lie that included um, lying to doctors to get pills, lying to my husband to be drinking, um, lying to my family about the destruction and the secrets that were going on inside my own heart. And in the process, I created, um, you know, just a disastrous web of lies. And um, it all came to a head in April of 2007 when I passed out in my five-year-old's lap. Mm. And um, I woke up. I don't recall how I made it from um, the car, which, which is where I passed out in her lap, to my bed. But I woke up in the middle of the night. I was still drunk. And I crawled myself to my bathroom, bathtub, and I was in the bathroom. And I knew in that moment that I loved the feeling of escape that I found in a bottle more than I did anyone else in my life. Hmm. Um, And so that began my journey of recovery. Um, I unwillingly and without um, a desire to love myself in the beginning, Um, but instead with a real fear of losing what I perceived to be like the best parts of me, um, I went, I started a journey of recovery at that point. I have since, you know, 13 years does a lot of, a lot of good work on your heart when you dig in. And so I've, I've since embraced it for myself, but in the beginning I did it because I didn't want to lose my 18 month old and my five-year-old. That's just the truth. Yeah. The mom motivation was strong. Yeah. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. There was a point where Lucas, your husband was like, Hey, you stop this or we're out of here. Oh, like within the first two days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, by the time, by the time I walked downstairs the morning after my last drink, um, now I'm married to an engineer. (laughs) I'm very, I'm married to someone that sees like production and, you know, uh, you know, what are the, what are the things that we have to do to take care of this and make this better? So with all the love in my heart, you need to know that, um, you know, he had cleared the house of what I call my ex-best friend, um, Mm -hmm. at least the things that the, 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 the things that he knew about, you know, over the next few months, we had to unearth the thing, the places that that stuff was hidden. Um, but, but, um, yeah, very quickly he said, um, you have a choice. And, and that is something that I now am able, after years of knowing people in recovery, I'm able to look back on and know that that is, that is not the normal. That is not the story that most people experience. Um, and I know for a fact that that saved my life. Hmm. Meaning a lot of people don't have that person to no, no, them like no, that? Yeah, right. Well, not just the, the confrontation, but somebody that, that is, is um, 
really willing to hold to the fact that, that this is not who you were created to be. Mm. And I will not be with you unless you can live into who you were created to be. Which is actually probably the most loving thing you can. It is the worst and the best <laughs> all tied into one. Because yeah. let me just tell you from that place of, of shame and, and secrets, like the last thing you want to hear is, you know, get it together or, or, uh, we're out. But I knew, I knew in that moment that he meant it. And there, you know, my, my husband is a man of few words. When yeah. he says something, he means it. And, uh, in that moment he absolutely meant, yeah. you know, this is it. This is your opportunity. Yeah. And just so people listening know, like Lacey just said, the kind of person Lucas is, um, we would do like a, almost like a state of the church kind of, sermon once a year. And as the senior pastor of the church, I wouldn't do it. I would have Lucas do it because that's how much people trusted him. And, uh, when he spoke, you, you listened. Um, so yes, uh, Lucas is fantastic. Okay. What has, so we're however many weeks into quarantining seven, yep. eight, whatever it is. I don't um, know. I was, <laughs> yeah. Unlike sobriety, I'm not interested in this day count. No. <laughs> and knowing you over the last almost nine years, um, I never, and I guess we, we typically didn't get into deep conversations about this. Um, I, I never felt that you got tempted a ton to go back to drinking. Now, I could be totally wrong here. Um, but I wonder what this season has been been like let's start with you of I mean isolation other than the people you yeah. live with yeah so so something that I have really uh, reflected on a lot in the last few weeks is the truth that addiction is a disease of secrecy there is there is no aspect of um, addiction and it doesn't matter what addiction we're talking about here um, that doesn't involve a true belief by the addict that they are covering up what's going on. Mm. Um, in, in our very core, we are convinced that if we can just keep this secret, we can keep going with this way of life. So if, if that's the, the starting place, the engine revving of addiction, um, there's nothing like a pandemic <laughs> to <laughs> evoke this perception that no one's going to see me. I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to interact with the people that really know me that are going to be able to look me in the eyes and know whether I'm telling the truth. Um, there, while I know that this is not the case for everyone who's in recovery, uh, my kids are not addicts or at least that I know yet. I don't know. And we'll see how their lives turn out and I'll be here no matter what. But, yeah. you know, I, I am, I am, um, in the, in the midst of the pandemic, I'm in this house with normal thinkers. I'm in this house with people who, um, I am pretty sure that I could pull over, um, a good lie. If I, if I, if, if that's what my gut told me, um, was the way to survive this pan this season. And I know that that has been true. And I've listened to the stories of other friends in recovery. And that is a common thread. Mm. So the dangerous part for me 
Um, and, and I want to go back to just something you just said about, yeah. um, you, you didn't think that it was something that I struggled with. I think that's, that is like, um, such an important thing for us to talk about for a second in terms of, especially when you've been in recovery for any length of time, because in the beginning, every step, every breath is about staying sober. I mean, I can remember when I walked into my first meeting, um, I was given five instructions, you know, do these five things and come to a meeting every day for the first 90 days and, you know, figure out what this new way of life, like build a new system. If you had known me in those early days, you would yeah. see that that was all I did. I, I literally ate, breathed, slept, read. That was it. That was all I was doing. I was just trying to stay alive in those mm -hmm. early days. But, but because you met me a little further down the path, um, I, I think that there's a, a, a real uh, misunderstanding maybe that, yeah. that these, that the struggles of, of recovery get easier mm -hmm. as the years go on and they don't. And, and they absolutely will flare their head in ways that, um, I don't, I don't even want to, I don't want to admit, admit. Let, let me tell you just a quick story real quick. I wasn't yeah. going to tell the story, but I think it's a good one. I think it's a good picture of it. Um, last summer we were on a trip with, uh, one of my daughter's, uh, teams. It was a team trip. And while we were there, I got a phone call, um, about something that was going on at home that was really, um, emotionally charged and hard. And, um, I was not with my sober community. I was not with people that really understood what was going on in my life. And, and a couple of years ago, I started wearing a uh, watch with a heart rate monitor on it. Hmm. And, um, so that day, um, we got through the day, you know, I put everything in the box. I, I did the things that I was supposed to do to get through the day. We, we went to the sporting event. We, you know, whatever I was interacting with people. And after we all said, let's go to dinner. So we walked into this restaurant by that point, I wasn't even thinking about, um, this other stuff that was going on at home. I really had put that on the back burner. We walk into this restaurant and we sit down and our table is set right in front of this gorgeous bar. It's this long table. And I sat down on the side where I was facing the bar. And if you were to check my heart rate monitor during that meal, it was like in the one eighties. Hmm. I was even in a way that I didn't know I was doing the internal dance of what if I could make this stop. I could, I could just make it go away for a few moments. And I think that's the, the lie that those of us that have had some time in, in recovery might give off to the world, mm -hmm. that it's not something we struggle with anymore. And that's just not true. Yeah. Um, I have moments where I pick up the phone and I, and I call friends who get my way of thinking, my disordered thinking, and I say, oh, it's bad today. Mm. And, and I, I may not want to drink, but I'm just going to go buy a whole pie and eat that instead yeah. or <laughs> whatever it is, you know, max out my credit card or just do something that I know will make, um, make me not want to feel the way that I feel right now. Mm -hmm. Addiction is, is a, a very, very tricky, uh, journey. And I think the pandemic has just kind of made it 
it didn't, it didn't bring on anything new, but it sure certainly magnified what was already going on inside of some of us. Yeah. And okay. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing that story. And, and let me, I wasn't planning on asking you this, but um, there's this line in the new Testament and it says to be alert and of sober mind. And one of the things I've talked to some people about is like, a, he's talking about more than, than like addiction, alcohol, whatever. Uh, right. But if you, if you apply it to that, um, you can not be of sober mind long before you ever have a, have a drink. Right. I mean, Absolutely. if you're already, if you're doing the mind games, yeah. you know, um, I don't know. I, I just thought of that. Is, is there any, any insight you have into that? Yeah. So I was, I was talking to a friend yesterday and she said something that was so profound to me. She said, maybe recovery is not about a substance. Mm. I'm sure I've heard that like, you know, 13 years, <laughs> but for some reason yesterday, it just hit me. So, uh, between the eyes, because, because I think for a lot of us, we think that well, if we just keep the mind or mood altering substances out of our body, then we're sober. Well, mm -hmm. you know what? Re recovery, that's not what this is about. A, a life in recovery, a life um, with a sober mind is really about honesty. It's about not secret keeping. It's about being truthful, not, to, not just to the world. I mean, I, I can live a life where you people, you people out there in the universe <laughs> see my truth. But, but am I being honest to myself? That's mm. a different way of life. That's a different kind of sober than just not taking a drink today. Mm. And insight. some days, now let me say this to somebody who might be listening and, yeah. and struggling with that. Some days, the, the very best that I have to offer myself and the world is not to take a drink. And that's okay too. Mm. I, there, is, there, there are times and seasons where the very, the most that I can bring to the table is to literally not take a drink. Mm. And I'm happy that I survived those days because I wouldn't have as many consecutively sober days, you know, days without a drink. If I, if I couldn't get through those days, because, because there are some days that the, the mind is not quiet and the, 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 um, ability to be fully present in my own experience is, is not a possibility, but not taking a drink is something I can do. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And that just reminded me, um, one of the best, most honest, most open, most fun Bible studies, small groups, whatever you want to call it, I've ever been a part of is when you and I led one for a group of folks in our church who were in, re in recovery. Do you remember this? Yeah. And it was a five or six week thing. Um, and like you led in all sorts of ways. Um, and I was there like kind of chiming in and helping where I could, but really just observing the interaction of you read the Bible with, with people who are sober, who weren't sober for a long, long time. And there's this like grounded gratefulness and openness. I mean, there weren't a lot of secrets in that, in that room. <laughs> um, what is it for you? Is it different interacting with folks in recovery? Is there, is there 
a lot of times a, a, a deeper sense of. Oh, completely, completely. Yeah. And even in, even to the point where sometimes I feel guilty about the fact that like, I can't, I can't take every relationship in my life to that level. Hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but there's, there is a deep desire once you know a no BS zone yeah. for every relationship in your life to go there. Yeah. Like, um, no BS zone. I like that. Well, I, I mean, I can, I can, I can fire it up a little better. I'm trying to, I'm trying to honor your uh, listeners today <laughs> <laughs> because trust me, the first time I walked into a meeting and somebody dropped the F bomb, I was like, I have found my people. These are my people. <laughs> like there's no, there's no censoring. And, and I think that's the, it's, it's not about what language we use. It's right. about, it's about this, this, um, just this desire well and it's life or death right i mean you get to that point where you know like i'm gonna die if i take another drink so who cares what language i use the way that i talk about god the way that i um throw myself on um I mean, there's, there's no part of working a program of recovery. If you're, if you're working through the 12 steps and you are going to the depths of honesty that, that um, really are required to get out of the junk, the damage that you've done um, to your brain, your soul, your being, all of that. If you're going there, you want that for everybody. Right. I can remember early in recovery, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd come to my my church friends and I'd be like we just need to do this in the church and they're like we don't want that I'm like I know I know I'll go back to the people over here it's okay but it's so fun to have people who um just want to go there with you yeah. you know I mean I'm I'm so thankful you just reminded me of that season in that in my living room because yeah. I I'd forgotten about that I'd forgotten uh, about the, the beauty of those those um just like Oh man, the questions that, the the, mm-hmm. the, like, there's no desire to like front it with, well, what are they going to think of me or how are they going to respond? Or are they going to think I'm stupid? No, 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 no. We've, we've already done that. Yeah. Like we, we've been there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I remember some lines that I, I won't like repeat, but, yeah. um, but even, even the sense of how fortunate fortunate am I that God brought me out of that? You know, um, when I put vodka in my coffee and drove my daughter to school, you know, what would have happened during that day if she had to go to the doctor? You did not say this, so I'll clarify that. Um, <laughs> oh, my stories are equally as painful. I mean, I, I think that's the thing. I think that's the thing is like, you, you you recognize when somebody else tells a story like that, that A, first of all, you're not the only one that's ever done that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's freeing. Like, you're like, oh my God, I'm not as terrible as I always, as I've created in my brain. Um, that's the beauty of the rooms of recovery. That's the beauty of, of that kind of truth telling in relationships is, is the moment that you, you know, you do a fifth step with your sponsor and you go, I did this, this, and this. And they're like, okay, I did too. And I'm like, mm. holy crap, I thought I was going to combust. I figured mm-hmm. I was going to, you know, say these things out loud and suddenly the gates of hell were going to open and I was going there, <laughs> you know, and, and, and suddenly I'm sitting there going, I love you and I have so much respect for you. And you're telling me that you felt this way too. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Gonna be okay. And, and let me clarify something you said a, a few minutes ago. Um, you had this line, 
like once you're in recovery, you've been through this, like who cares how you talk about God? What you, I think what you mean is not like disrespectful. Let's talk about God. No, 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 no. And like a, God can handle this. Number one. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yes, 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 absolutely. I, I, that, I also, I also needed, you know, um, when you get to a bottom, when you get to that place where your world really has fallen apart for somebody like me that grew up with an understanding of, um, moral consequences and rules that controlled the things that you knew to be, um, separating you from connection with the divine. Um, it's scary when you walk into a room and a bunch of strangers look at you and the first thing they ask of you to do is to surrender yourself to a higher power. Because in that moment, that was the last thing I wanted. I mean, I can remember one day I was a couple months sober and I really hadn't talked in meetings and, um, someone said something about let go and let God. That's a line that a lot of people (laughs) use in the program. And, uh, literally Matt, I like combusted from my chair and I was like, listen, you people don't even know. I am a church. I am a church person. I've been to school for the God thing. Like, <laughs> if, any, if God could have saved me from my chair in this room, that would have already happened. Y'all don't even know what I know. <laughs> and, and, and it was exactly what I needed. I needed permission to have a space where I could just like rail on the old way of thinking that I had about ultimately like my behavior was a reflection of my faithfulness Mm. and really get down to business about no, 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 no. You don't even understand honesty. And that's the only thing that your creator wants from you is honesty. Mm. Yeah. I mean, read through some of the Psalms. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think, I think that's in recovery. That's, that's been a real gift to me to go back and have, the head knowledge, the, the, the historical knowledge of my life, um, to pull from some of those things that I don't really think I even understood in my early years of wrestling with God. Mm. My, what I, what I now have in the words of, of people, the words of David, the words of, um, you know, the story of Job, the, the moments of, um, Jonah. I mean, the Jonah's prayer from the the belly of the fish is literally my life prayer. Like Mm. that, that desperation, God, don't you dare send me there. And yet I know you're sending me there and I don't want to go. And, and I will go because I know I can't live any other way. Okay. (laughs) You know, I'm like, that's my life prayer. And, and, and it's, it's refreshing to know, to have the lens through which to go back and read those things and interact with God in that kind of way. Wow, I didn't know we were going here, Matt Boyle. You always <laughs> uh, take me to places that... Church, church today. Church. <laughs> um, so, okay, we're in this time where people can't go to meetings. Right. Um, and one of... So uh, I'm, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of people, how, how they normally interact with recovery or sobriety, it's all kind of jacked up right now. Yeah, totally. Um, and one of the things you told me was, was that one of the first things you learned in recovery was something like, don't get hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Is that right? Yep. Yep. That's it. Because that's when you'll be. Welcome to the pandemic. Those <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Crazy. Okay. So yeah. just, just for understanding purposes, 
the reason yeah. they say that don't get hungry, angry, lonely, tired is because that's when you're most susceptible to, to that's temptation. That's when you're vulnerable. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. That's when your brain tells you that the best, the next, the best solution would be to change the way you feel. Yeah. Okay. And so that hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stay away from those things. That's really hard to do in a normal, like quote unquote normal, right. how we used to know things. Yep. Um, but now when you're alone and people are losing income and they have nothing but time on their hands and their thoughts start playing games with them, um, how, do, how do people do it right now? Well, I can be real honest. We're not doing it very well. Okay. I'm speaking from my own experience there as well as friends that I um, – I'm thankful, you know, when I first wrote that, that piece about sobriety in the midst of the pandemic, my, my initial, I don't know, target audience, if you will, was, um, people who had walked into their first meeting a week or two prior to the stay at home Mm. order in our area, because you've yet to establish a foundation of what first of all, what recovery is, but even do I trust these people? Like, yeah. do I know, do I, do I, do I really believe that they have my best interest at heart? Um, you and don't even, get to a bottom. What? Even, I mean, I wonder if maybe even for some people, like, do I even need to be here? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, two weeks in, I was still looking around the room going, I'm not as bad as you. I'm not as bad as you. Maybe yeah. I don't qualify for these yeah, rooms. Yeah. You know, that is very, that's a very, very common um, reality. So one of the first things that they encourage you to do in recovery is to get a sponsor. And, and, and when I, I remember when I was first introduced to the concept of a sponsor, I asked, how do you pick a sponsor? And they said, you, you look for somebody who has what you want and you follow them. So by the way, two weeks, we've read stories about that kind of thing in the new Testament (laughs) somewhere along the way. (laughs) So, so I can, two weeks in, two weeks in, I not only didn't trust the people I was sitting in meetings with, but heck if I had found a sponsor and I certainly hadn't started working any kind of program. So, so that's, that's a, a very real challenge for uh, people newly connected to the program. That was my initial, that was my initial like audience when I wrote mm-hmm. that piece, okay. like you're not alone. You're stay, stay here. Um, don't leave, don't run just because you feel, uh, like this is a bizarre season. This is not how most of us experienced early sobriety, but the more that I've journeyed through this experience, the more I've realized that, that it's been super hard for, for those of us that have a rhythm of recovery underneath our belts, even, um, this has brought up some old wounds of Mm. hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It has brought up um, uh, space for some of us to do, you know, in my case, writing that has, has re, um, you know, I thought that I had dealt with, well, I hadn't. Well, Mm. when I get to those places of discomfort, the one thing that I really want to do is just go, whoa, 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 let's put that back in the box and shift gears. And for me, the natural shifting of gears is always to change the way that I feel. So yeah, the, the pandemic has no has been no joke to those of us that that this is, and and I see it even in my normie friends. You know, I I, I watch the way that we can't exercise 
like we used to. We can't eat like we used to. We can't shop like we used to. And I'm not talking about, you know, maxing out credit cards. I'm talking about the joy that people find from walking around and window shopping. Yeah. The, 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 um, uh, the good serotonin that is produced when you are with friends and people you love. And, 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 and if that's true of my friends that, you know, have capacities to handle this in ways that I don't imagine what it's like for those of us that just don't have the buckets to put our feelings in right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what are some practical ways we can help people who are trying to stay sober right now? One of the things in your, in your blog that, that actually underlined was about how you, like your, your norm isn't to block people on Facebook, but you're starting to do that. Why? Yeah. Yeah. So I am, um, I do love some social media. Let's just confess (laughs) that right now. Um, I, I, I really enjoy interacting with people who think differently and there's no greater way to do that than put yourself out in the, you know, internet universe because people say all kinds of stuff. Um, so my Facebook page in particular is public. I, I don't, I don't have like hidden friends. I, you know, I really try to, um, whatever I present in a social media sense, I want it to be something that is authentic to me that the, the entire world could digest. That's, that's important to me. Okay. So with that in mind, I'm not a blocker of people on Facebook. Like that's not interesting to me. Like I want to see, but something has happened in this season that I've had to go back and kind of readjust some of my thinking. Um, so there's this great feature on some social media sites that you can block people for 30 days. I've done a lot of that. <laughs> and the main reason that I've done that is because I don't think that, that people who don't struggle with, and, and I'm speaking specifically with alcoholism right now, that, that I don't think that the world understands how, um, how we read, how the mind of an alcoholic reads things that the rest of the world thinks are funny. Okay. So, um, for me to get, to open my Facebook feed in the morning after I've just had some coffee and tried to like center myself into a a right mind thinking and I open my Facebook feed and I see the meme of, is it, you know, it's, it's 11 AM, but doesn't that mean that it's 5 PM somewhere it's wine time. Mm -hmm. How am I going to get through homeschool? you know, momming homeschool style, um, without my Yeti and, you know, my tequila, I know it's funny. I know it's funny. And I'm not here to be the meme police. Like that's (laughs) not my job. I, I, but for my own sanity, for my own sobriety, for my own sense of calm, I have had to block. Mm -hmm. I've had to block some people. Um, it's not that I don't love them. It's not that I don't think they're funny. There's stuff that it is funny. And on most days a year ago, I would have been laughing with you. It's funny. But for right now, this season, it's a little too raw. And, and for me to say that I am not impacted by that is for me to lie to myself. Yeah. Well said, well said. So it's, I mean, it's, it's you knowing what you need to do yeah. to 
survive today. Yeah, but I think I think there's also a piece of that, and and you know they teach us in recovery that that my job is to pr- protect myself, that we we have to choose our our play people, play places, place play things. You know that's my job. If if I am not in a place spiritually and emotionally and and uh, physically that I can sit at a restaurant and not have my pulse rate go through the roof, that should be my job to know not to go to that restaurant. Mm. That's my job. That's not on you. That's not on my friends to, to monitor. That's not my job. And I take that really seriously. But I will tell you, <laughs> if, you're, if you are in a household with someone who's in recovery in the midst of the pandemic, if you are best friends with someone who is in recovery in the midst of a pandemic, there, there is a, a unique opportunity for you to show sensitivity and um, love. I mean, it's just loving people. It's really just loving people. If someone has given you the gift of inviting you in to their recovery, if you know someone in your life who is trying to live a sober lifestyle and you choose to, in, to love them well, one of the best things that you can do is be sensitive to the ways in which you interact with them in this season. Well said. Okay. <clears throat> so back to the question then, what, what like practical ways can we be helpful to people who are trying to stay sober right now? Uh, not sending memes with, uh, you know, bongs and kegs that's really helpful (laughs) just a thought um intentionally inviting them into conversations that um help them feel heard and seen in spaces that um they don't have right now you know if if someone in your life has a rhythm of going to a meeting three times a week that's the way that they are processing their hurts and hangups they don't have that right now. Yeah. And, and as much as I want to say that a Zoom call is um, a connection, it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, you have, you, you see right here, you know, you're, you're able to see what's going on in this square. You have no idea what I have at my feet. Right. That is a dangerous place for an addict. For all you know, I could have every one of my favorite drugs right underneath me and that could be how I'm getting through that meeting. Mm -hmm. Instead, when you walk into a meeting, um, anyone that has struggled with addiction can sniff out that BS faster than, but we don't have that ability right now. We don't have Mm -hmm. that ability to look each other in the eye. We don't have that ability to know, oh, the, the, the bloodshot in your eyes it may not mean that you're drinking, but I bet it means you're not sleeping. And that's a dangerous mm. thing for an addict. We can't call each other out on that kind of truth. Yeah. So what are some of the things you're doing during this time to? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just tell you. I don't even have to finish the question. Yeah. So in this season, I'm doing a lot of writing, okay. a lot of writing. Um, but that's a soul give it, that's a soul tending thing for me. And I know that that's not true for everyone. Right. Um, I'm also, I have grown a garden. Hey. Um, 
Yes, it is quite an impressive thing. My first three tomatoes are beautiful and red as of today, and they are nice. sitting on my counter waiting for me to enjoy them. Um, but every day, I mean, just yesterday, like I was, I was in a funky headspace yesterday morning. So I got up and I went outside and I create, I rerouted some plants and there is, there is uh, life for me in this season in breathing and breathing and slowing down and breathing some more. And I can do that when I am, um, you know, rerouting a potato vine or, um, finding an earthworm in my cucumber plants. Mm -hmm. And and if you had talked to me six months ago and told me that I would be gardening, I would have told you you were the craziest <laughs> person on the planet. Like, and that, that is, that was not even on my radar right. to garden. Actually, at the beginning of the pandemic, I actually posted a picture of a tomato plant that from, from last year, I tried to grow tomatoes. I had not tended to that thing and it sprouted three baby tomatoes. Well, I've since dug up all those plants and I mean, my, my, my garden's quite the bomb right now, but the, the, the reality of this is this season has a provided space for me to do things that mm -hmm. I have not had the space to do before, but B, um, the absolute, uh, uh, the, the, the need to go to places to look to look for relief and, and I hear that in the best possible way like to to look for that that kind of soul comfort that I know that I need that I can't get in a lot of ways right mm -hmm. now I've had to find it in other places I've had to seek it out in ways that were healthy because otherwise I would be doing things that were were um not going to be life-giving to me yeah yeah so the space that has potential to lead to some really dark places also has the potential to lead to some really life-giving places. Yes. Um, Thank you, Matt Boyle for wrapping that up so well. <laughs> By the way, when that's I called so you- That's so good. No, that's so good. That's so good because, because what I tend to think and, and my dark and twisty mind, um, when I'm left alone in that space, I assume it's always going to end up in the evil. Mm -hmm. And, and what I, what I have discovered in this season is, while I might go to some places that I, I really don't want to go to or, or am afraid to go to, I also have been given the space to go to some really beautiful new places. Mm -hmm. And that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, by the way, when I called yesterday, when I called you yesterday, you, the first thing you said was you were pulling weeds. And I was like, what? <laughs> Who are you? I thought I knew you. <laughs> No, literally, uh, so, I have I have pulled all the weeds in my yard, and it is like I mean, it's like I dare you to grow back weed. I dare you because <laughs> I will get you. That's where I am. Uh, okay, one more question before we we move on um, to the second part here. What would you t say to someone who is listening to this, who is whether it's the beginning stages or they're thirteen years in to to their sobriety? And it's like, man, this is just becoming too much. And I'm really tempted to do something I fought really hard not to do. What would you say to them? I would say to go back to basics. Hmm. That's, a that's a recovery term for quit thinking about what's going to happen next week. 
Quit thinking about, well, when this is over, I'll, I'll stop this behavior. Quit thinking about when I go back to a meeting, everything will be fine and worry about the next 60 seconds, mm. the next, you know, hour, the next week, you know, what early in recovery, I, I was taught that we, we, you know, it, the, the phrase is 24 hours. Like that, that's what I'm saying is I'm going to stay sober for 24 hours. Well, in the beginning, I, I couldn't do 24 hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to my first meeting at 5 PM on a Monday. I went to another meeting at 1130 on a Tuesday by 630 on Tuesday, the same day, the same day. My husband looked at me and said, maybe you should go to another meeting. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not this bad, am I? But, but that's the truth of, of, of holding on in the moments. Like sometimes we have 60 seconds. Sometimes we have five minutes. That's all we have. Yeah. And, and, and being okay with going back to, I just need to get through this five minutes is sufficient in this season. Yeah. Um, even for those of us that, that thought we had some some sobriety under our belts. Like there are, there are times, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I have had many days in this season where I've had to look at my family and say, I need some space and I need, I need to walk away for right now. And giving myself that permission as hard as it is and as selfish as it seems is, is what's, that's why I haven't had a drink yet. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's wise. Last interview I did was with uh, actually my senior pastor. And one of the first things he said was, you know, early on, I, I, I knew like the, it's like, there are two things you need to, you need to focus on or take care of. One is like the, the knowledge of the pastor, what you need to do, the biblical knowledge, whatever. The second part is taking care of yourself. And, and not that one of those goes in front of the other. Well, go, taking care of yourself would go before um, the first thing I said, but he said early on, I didn't take care of myself and it led to some not fantastic places. And that's what, yeah. what you're saying also. Yeah. So well done to you. I think that's wise. And I know your family and, and their hearts and how awesome they are. So no doubt they're willing to give you that. Yeah. My, my sweet freshman today looked at me and, uh, <laughs> This is great. This is how great she is. Her father's child. <laughs> you will love this. I said, I said, I just, I feel kind of off today. I think maybe after I finish this podcast, I'm going to go down and sit on the beach and do some writing. And she goes, I think that would be a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, mom, I really need you out of my space. Cause you're bringing my energy down today. Oh <laughs> uh, man. They're great. Okay. Switch gears here a little bit. In yeah. the midst of all of this, the, hard, the hardness of it, the mind games of it, the temptations of it, how have you seen God? I have seen God show up for me in permission. Permission for what? To, to listen, okay. to be still, to um, have space. Um, you know, I am, I am very firm in my belief that I don't believe that I, I, my, the God of my understanding is not, is not, you know, sitting in some off place going, oh, I'm going to create space for Lacey to learn and grow. Like, that's mm-hmm. not, that's not what I believe about God. What I do believe is that when given the opportunity to take a breath, if I will lean in 
if I will listen, if I will be still, that my God will meet me there. And, that, and, and that's really where I have had to sit in this season. Like even on the days where those feelings are incredibly uncomfortable, um, my connection to question and my connection to loving my connection to breathing a little bit more deeply from the fullness of what I believe God is calling me to in this season has been, um, that's life giving for me. And, um, and I have a choice. I can either self-destruct or I can lean in. And, and that, and that's, that's what um, I know I need to do today is just, just be more intentional in the leaning in. Yeah. How do you do that? Like you, Lacey, how I, do you? I sit, which is very, so um, there is nothing about my personality in general that likes to be still. I fight stillness like it's a poison. <laughs> um, you know, uh, friends have tried in seasons to um, engage my heart and mind in yoga and meditation and um, contemplation. And the older I get, the more I love it and the more I embrace it. That's that's important for me to say. Like, I have, I have gone on um, trips by myself as I've gotten older and I, you know, I'll go and stay in a hotel room and not talk to anyone for 24 hours. And that's life giving for me now, which I couldn't do, which also says a lot about, um, emotional maturity, I think, mm -hmm. you know, and, and being able to be content with your own thoughts. However, in this season, it's been, a, it's been a little trickier because first of all, I connect best when I have space like to process. I'm not one of those people that can, um, get up in the morning and have my coffee and read for five minutes and be still and then like be all Zen like in yeah. five minutes. Um, for me, those times have come when at the end of the day, I'm a nighttime person. I'm not a morning person. So that I, that might be a, an important distinction to make, but usually my, my time comes when I build a fire in my backyard and I tell my family to go inside mm -hmm. and I just sit and I look at the way that God is, the metaphor of the fire. Oh, mind blowing. It's been, it's been ripping me up lately. And, and a lot of times that's, that's really important for me to just sit and realize that like, there's, this is not lost on me taking the time to sit here and allow, um, this stillness to kind of wash over me is good for my soul. Yeah. So that's yeah. been important in this season. And I know you like to read. Are you reading anything right now? That's helpful. Oh my gosh. You, I don't know if it's helpful. It's, it's messing with me. Um, so I have been like tearing up uh, my, my Amazon, um, book, uh, intake has been huge. You know, I'm, I'm super, I, I, I'm actually doing a, um, a book club right now. That's one of the things that I have, have, uh, engaged in is a little bit more interaction with people about some of the things that are, are, have been, um, uh, growing inside of me in this mm -hmm. season, um, without the ability to sit with friends over coffee and talk through some of this stuff, I've really missed it. So I, I formed a, an online book club this week and, and I we're unpacking, um, Glennon Doyle's new book, which, sure. uh, just wrecking me. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Jen Hatmaker did love her new book. Um, but I'll tell you who really got me last week was science Mike. Um, Mike 
he just released a new book and it's a lot about um, how our brain and our emotions and our um, thought process um, controls the way that we exist. And I love the science behind it. And I love the way that he, he delves a little bit into addiction and what that means for us. And then he talks also a lot about our coping mechanisms or lack thereof. And so all those, that's just food for my soul. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. All right. Ready for the last question? Got it. Let's go. So there's this passage in Philippians chapter four, where this dude's Paul, this dude, Paul's writing a letter to a church and he starts talking about being content. And he says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So Paul's like, Hey man, I've learned to be content no matter what's going on. I, I, I'm con- I can be content on a good day in sobriety. I can be content in a little bit of a shaky day in sobriety. Um, the word he uses for content here, it's, it means to be in a constant state of, of peace or satisfaction. Lacey Hilbrick, how is it in this season, the last seven, eight weeks, whatever it's been, how is it that you've been learning to be content? All right, because I just don't do halfway. I need to tell you, I'm not content. Okay. Like that's the hardest part of this. And, and being okay with not being content on days has been really, really important to me. But then I have these moments, oh man, they're just like, they're glorious where I just, I sit back and Mother's Day was one of those days for mm. me. Like, um, it wasn't what I wanted. You know, I want, I miss my parents immensely. I can't see them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really, really hard for me. I wanted to be with my mom. And the crazy part about it is I don't remember the last Mother's Day I was with my mom. But somehow, <laughs> because I've been told that I can't be with my mom, I want to be with my mom. Um, but that day, uh, my people, my quarantine family, uh, we, we have a very small circle that we've allowed in our space, even yeah. outside of the four of us. And my quarantine family sat on my back porch. And we ate crawfish Hmm. and we um, laughed. We were in the sun. I actually have a suntan mat foil. Can you even imagine? I can't. I I have shoe marks on my feet from being outside so much. These things are where my soul is finding contentment Hmm. and finding peace. When I look down at my feet and I see my Chaco lines on my feet and I go, you know, the sun is touching my skin. And I have been still in the outdoors and that is, that is good. Mm. That is really, really good for me right now. Um, But it's not how I planned it. And it's Mm. not the kind of contentment that I would want some days, but, but just being okay with like whatever, whatever contentment looks like for me today, just, just being okay with it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Being content with the range of content. Gosh, it's so hard. It's so hard. Uh, well, Lacey, love you. Appreciate you. Thank you for courage, bravery, willingness to share your story with us. No doubt this is going to help some people. Uh, thank you for being here. Yeah. So to anyone who might hear this, I need to say one thing before we go. Um, you are not alone. 
Hmm. wherever you are, whatever place of um, pain or uh, discomfort or the desire to change the way that you feel today, you are not alone. So don't think, don't buy that lie today. We're going to end it there. Thank you everyone for tuning in. This has been What's True for Everybody with Lacey Hilbrick. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay content. Much love. We will see you next time.